You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. It's just a really tough situation for all five species of rhinos, black rhinos included. And we'll talk about that today as we move through the podcast. What can they teach us? The news is mostly good from around the world. Uh, I saw this article, it, it was titled, Rhino Numbers Rebound as Global Figures Reveal a Win for Conservation. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to Our Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Welcome back, buddy. I missed you. I know. It's been way too long since, well, we talk all the time, but it's been way too long True. since we've recorded <laughs> and yeah. got to nerd out about a species for an hour or so. And we picked, like, my second favorite. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it comes to the rhinos, absolutely. We had to come back with a big punch with the black rhino. Their conservation story, it, it's, it, it's some good news. We're going to mix in some good news today. We know we've been absent a little bit. And just really quickly, uh, I suffered the loss of, of both my fathers uh, in a matter of weeks. Uh, it was a very, very tough month for me, sprinkled in with some, with some COVID with both Angie and I. And I just got back from the States a few days ago um, after uh, for visiting with family there and, and my, my stepfather's funeral and, and then dealing with my father's estate. So anyways, thank you for all the kind words. And, and Angie has been so supportive because I remember when her father passed away a few years ago and uh, it's just tough. Yeah, tough losing a parent. Uh, it's about as heavy as it gets. I mean, there uh, one of my girlfriends described it who lost her dad when she was really young, like 14. She said it. She was like, you know, they're the they're the only ones that have to care about you. Uh, she's like, you know, your your spouse or your partner might leave you. Your kids might treat you like crap. But the parent has to care. They have to bail you out of jail. They ha- and so that loss is just it's uh, it's forever and uh, it's uh, not you know not easy. And so yeah, uh, but my dad was a huge animal lover, and I know your fathers were too. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps me know that what we're doing is uh, is where I, part of where I got my passion from, and and why you and I are on the right track to get back to recording as soon as we physically can, even if we're not a hundred percent mentally here. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It I was, mean, yeah. you know, mentally feeling yeah. great, but yeah, you've been. I mean, 
it's got to be exhausted. That was a whirlwind yeah. trip. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was. It was tough going back to the states for that. But I am home in New Zealand. Ready to talk rhinos. I've been itching to get back. One of the reasons I pushed a little bit for Black Rhino is I know this is one of Angie's favorites. They are critically endangered, so that is a big thing with these Black Rhinos. But I always go back to your research at UF when you were pushing conservation and and you really were inspiring me to to go down this path with you. So, uh, you know, talking about rhinos, rhino reproduction, I know that's a little bit of what you dabbled in, but you know, it's just, you know, thank you for what you did in your PhD, by the way, but also just this species needs that type of work. Absolutely. And, 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 and I mean, I fell in love with black rhinos when uh, I was a zookeeper. I didn't take care of them personally, but my buddy, Andy, one of my best zookeeper friends, he took care of several black rhinos at the zoo. And whenever I was having a bad day, he would take me behind the scenes where I would rub a black rhino belly. And yes, just like you would your puppy. Uh, of course, it was through protected contact, so everybody was safe. But uh, yeah, one of the males there was just a super lover boy, and he would come up to the behind-the-scenes pylons and basically let you go to rub town on him. And that's our zookeeper talk for rubbing away and and scratching them. And yes, and so he then he would get down and he'd present his belly. Uh, with his feet up in the air like a dog for the most part and just love to have rhino scratches. And uh, I mean, every animal I worked with at the zoo from a ball python to a barn owl to, of course, zebras, my number one favorite. uh, They all have personalities and rhinos are definitely no different. I mean, I just still this day love Rico that was the one who was the lover king the lover boy whose belly I got to scratch and yeah I just the personalities are incredible on these creatures and Chris and I are going to remind you today of all of the rhinos of their conservation plight is incredibly intense and it's just a really tough situation for all five species of rhinos black rhinos included and we'll talk about that today as we move through the podcast. Their numbers are creeping up and we're going to, we'll, we'll get you all the details about that. So that is very hopeful. But yes, one of the things in my PhD that I definitely had interest in looking at is why when rhinos are housed under human care, they a lot of times have reproductive issues. The black rhinos, not as much. Uh, they have other health issues, but the white rhinos definitely uh, have a lot of cysts on their ovaries and uterine cysts, and they're just not very fertile. And so Chris and I were looking into actually phytoestrogens, dietary phytoestrogens that come from some of the food that they're eating, the alfalfa, some of the grains, uh, and using horses as a model. So anyways, but all that scientific drive to help uh, answer questions about their conservation and about their health when they're housed under human care, I must say a large percentage of that comes from Rico's belly, from me scratching it and just falling in love with the species. And uh, yeah, and just never looking back after that. I just am a huge rhino lover. And although I've been to Africa three different times, I have not seen a wild rhino, black or white. Mm. So I have seen their dung <laughs> the last time I was there. <laughs> and the Kruger National Park, we went actually on um, a hike, a walking hike which is a little thrilling if you're in adventures because it's a little, it's a little uh, precarious, if you will. But we did find a, a rhino midden, uh, which is where a lot of feces are that helps them communicate 
who they are and where they are, if they're cycling or not. So we found their feces, but we did not see rhinos. So just like that darn leopard, it is still <laughs> well, <the> my <laughs> okay, bucket the, list. I, I get it for the leopard, but yeah, you've how have you not seen a rhino in the wild in Africa? Because that's like... Well, I know when I, the last time I went to South Africa in 2019, I was going to a conference talking about the phytoestrogen stuff. Your research, uh, yeah. About white rhinos. And yes, so I should have stayed longer. My colleague, Laura, she went further south in Kruger and was able to see black and white rhino. So next time I just have to stay longer. Now I know, John, if you're listening, uh, get ready. (laughs) In the next room, because we know this. (laughs) No. <laughs> yeah. And Laura, your friend Laura, who's one of the world's uh, premier rhino experts. So, yes, yeah, she's she that's them. yes, she's uh, she's fantastic. So I need yeah. I need to get I keep meaning to get her on the podcast, but she's always so busy yeah. saving rhinos and researching them. Uh, but yeah, so it's we're gonna have a lot of fun. And if you're if you haven't already fallen in love with Rico and his belly, or wanting to know more about the conservation of the rhinos, we're not doing our job because you need to stick around. There's a lot to talk about today. Well, Angie, I, I, I can see where you fell in love with them, and, and I did. I fell in love with them at the San Diego Zoo, and that reminds me just to just to give a quick shout-out to uh, two special uh, women who were able to show me around the San Diego Zoo. Delissa had answered uh, a post on Instagram, and uh, her and Ashana were able to take uh, Pippa and I around the zoo, a uh, behind-the-scenes tour. So if, if you're ever going to the San Diego Zoo and you want something special, for a loved one, look into getting one of those behind the scene tours. Uh, we did it for Pip's birthday and it just was amazing. And oh, we couldn't see the honey badger. It was sleeping. It wouldn't come out. That you darn can always, honey badger. Oh, you can only see it in the background in, in, in the behind the scenes because they're not out on display and their honey badger wouldn't come out. And I was like, oh, it's the only animal I want to see, but I'm destined to see one of them in South Africa or Africa somewhere. So, Anyways, just a shout out to them and everything that the the San Diego Zoo is doing. Like, lots of rhinos today that we're going to talk about. So thank you to them and all the love we received with the podcast. So thank you. Now, describing the black rhino, it's a rhino, but it's, it's, (laughs) I asked you this and and I do have the, the statistics on it. Maybe we'll save it here for a second. Every picture I see of a black rhino, their horns look so much longer and bigger than white rhinos. So I don't know if that's true, if they're bigger or not. Well, Chris, uh, you know, I haven't seen them in the wild, so I don't know. Uh, But yes, their horns are very impressive. Uh, They're a stunning rhino. So, but the white rhino is technically bigger. And so in size and weight and all that. So I'm assuming that the white rhinos is bigger, but maybe the black rhino does a better job at sharpening it. Or maybe just the pictures that they're capturing seem bigger. I'm not sure. Well, if you look at the data, I don't know. The pictures, to me, it seems black rhino horns are bigger, but they're not. Uh, They can get up to 50 inches long or 128, 130 centimeters. So that's like four feet. That's that's a lot. But white rhinos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, white rhinos go just a little bit longer and they can get up to close to 80 inches. So that's another two to three feet. So white rhinos are still the big ones, but maybe the greater, uh, greater one horn rhino. We'll have to do a podcast on them in the future and see. So, yeah. And we have to make note too, with black rhinos, they have two horns, right? So they have one posterior and one anterior. 
Uh, so, the, but of course, the one that is more posterior or closer to their nose is that's the really long, big, the big, big, big one. And then behind that is the, the smaller one. So, yeah, I mean, they're just a beautiful rhino. And, of course, when it comes to their coloring, black rhinos are not necessarily black. Uh, they're gray in color. It can range anywhere from a yellowish brown, depending on the soil conditions of the habitat in which they live. And it is a misnomer that white rhinos are maybe more white and black rhinos are maybe more black. That is actually not how they got their name, or at least the white rhinos. The white rhino actually got its name as a translation issue because in Dutch, they were saying that the white rhino has a wide, a wider nose because we'll talk about it as far as their lips go is a white rhino has a square upper lip and our lovely black rhinos have a triangular upper lip, like a prehensile upper lip. So the white rhino in Dutch, they were saying wide, like wide mouth, and then it somehow became, oh, the white rhino. And so I'm not sure if the black rhino, then their name followed after that, or maybe they were already named that. But it has really nothing to do with their the color of their skin at all. They're basically gray. Uh, both species are. Uh, and, uh, both the black and white rhinos are very gray in color. So, and other than their size, uh, once again, the biggest difference between white and black rhinos is that lip. And that lip is a lip that not only did I fall in love with Rico's belly, but I fell in love with his lip too, because the black rhinos have that prehensile upper lip that is used for grabbing things, mostly leaves and shrubs and things like that, because they forage more as grazers, where right rhinos eat grass like horses and they're more grazers on the ground with that big wide upper lip. The black rhinos grab things and they're browsing up in the treetops and the bushes. And that lip is so fun when you feed them because it's almost like feeding a giraffe. If anybody's done that, where you hold out the, like the lettuce and then the giraffe, the long blue giraffe tongue, purple blue giraffe tongue will come and wrap its tongue and like pull the whole romaine lettuce out of your hand. And sometimes they, they lick your hand while they're at it. The upper lip of the black rhino is very similar where when you're giving them, let's say, a sweet potato treat or something like that, that prehensile upper lip acts like a finger almost and kind of like pushes the sweet potato or whatever you're feeding them into, into their mouth. And it's just darling. And I love everything about it. <laughs> it's so, they're so fun to be. And then you kind of, sometimes they kind of take your hand and with it like a vacuum and you're like, oh, no, 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 wait, wait, I know, I know there's some serious molars back there. So no, 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 no. But it's, it's mesmerizing. You're just like, wow. I mean, I, I mean, I'm pretty good at, I can eat my dinner pretty fast, but man, if I had a prehensile lip, I could really go to town, you know? So uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. super cute, super funny. Um, so yeah, that's the main differences. Everybody knows what a rhino looks like, right? Then, of course, one of the things that help make them in my favorite category of animals is because when you, we look at their feet, they do have three toes on each foot. And so that makes them parasodactyls, which means odd-toed ungulate. So, of course, my other favorites are going to be zebras and horses, right? They're one hoof, they're one toe, uh, which is different than the artiodactyls, which are the even-toed un ungulates like your goats and your cows and yeah, 
also up there in some of my favorites, but not quite as much as the odd toad kids. No, they are your favorites. They definitely are. <laughs> and we are going to get you to Africa. And I think an all creatures trip in the next couple of years at some point. And we're going to see rhinos together because I have to see these in the wild. They are a little bit smaller uh, than you said, like at the white rhinos. So shoulder height with them, uh, you know, is up to 55 inches or four and a half feet to almost six feet or 1.8 meters. So the ones that I've seen in uh, in zoos, San Antonio Zoo, I remember specifically, weren't as big as that. But they do get they do get beefy. Uh, body length anywhere from 10 feet or three meters up to 12 feet, 3.75 meters. So pretty big there. Now they weigh between a ton and one and a half tons or 800 to 1400 kilograms. So they're built squatty little tanks and big, gen- big yeah, little tanks, but still, I mean, very big, big. and impressive when, big, you, yes. when you're next to them. And that massive, you know, almost four foot long horn. And then the, the posterior horn, the second horn Angie uh, mentioned can get up to 17 inches or 50 centimeters. Now this is where like when Angie opened up with the the poaching crisis, all of that. Going to talk about black rhinos. They are down to less than 2% of their historical range. So that has been pretty dramatic for them in the last 100 years. Uh, they 100 years ago, they were ranging all the way to the west coast of Africa, Central Africa. So you're looking at from Sierra Leone, like I'm, I'm talking Central Africa all the way on the, the Atlantic coast across above the Congo. So they're not, you know, obviously black rhinos aren't going to be in the dense Congo rainforest, but north of that, then all the way down the east coast of Africa, down into South Africa, uh, Namibia, all of those countries. Now today, 98% of the population are just found in four countries. And that's South Africa and Namibia. So that's in the southern part, then Zimbabwe and Kenya. So if you want to see black rhinos, those are going to be your best spots to go. Now, when I do talk about conservation, they are reintroducing them in their former range in certain parts. So that is very, very good news. Uh, Where you find black rhino as far as in their habitats, I mean, partially deserts. To grasslands, I mean, subtropical, uh, they're part in some of the, the forests, but again, they're not going to be in the deep, dense uh, jungle. They're too big. You know, I don't know. I guess you have forest elephants, which we have to cover soon, too. And one thing I found interesting is black rhinos like to stay close to water, which would make sense, you know, to a water source. So, uh, you know, they don't range too far from that. Now, switching gears, why care? Why care about rhinos, Angie? Here you go. Do I need? Should I tell the belly rubbing story again? Or <laughs> no. no. And just for the record, today Chris is going to come with all the numbers and facts. Like I'm literally just bringing my heart today. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. No. Um. So, of course, a million reasons to care about rhinos. If I had to give you just a few of why you should care, number one, they're Incredible creatures. I mentioned their personalities, their perseverance. And for those of us that have known and worked with them, know that their personalities are just incredible and different between each individual's. And when we think about massive megafauna, right? You have the whales, those are in the oceans. And of course, on land, you have the elephants. But 
Not too far behind them are rhinos. So when you think about Africa and going to, to see wildlife, I mean, rhinos are one of the big five, right? They're one of the most popular animals for people to get a glimpse of, take, uh, take photographs of. Uh, they're, they're beloved by so, so, so many because of their beauty and their size and that just that incredible horn. It's just so iconic, right? Um, and then when you think, when it comes from like an economic point of view, is the attraction that rhinos draw to Africa is critically important for the economic growth and sustainable development through tourism, right? So there are a ton of local jobs created to you know, basically help care for the parks, help protect the rhinos in the park, because unfortunately they are so highly sought after and poached for their horn. And we're going to talk more about that too as we move through the podcast and uh, how horrible that is. And the fact that we're living in 2023 and we know that the horn is made of keratin, mm-hmm. which is the same stuff that your fingernails are made of. So if, you, if you're a fingernail biter, that is what the horn is made of. It's just really, really compact keratin, dead, dead skin cells, protein that's left there. There's no medicinal value in it. Uh, we know this. Science knows that. There's not been any, any scientific study out there proving that rhino horn has any, any medicinal value. It's just unfortunately been been talked about that way for for many many years and uh and and it's just really sought after and i just can't believe that it's 2023 and it's still a thing uh that people want rhino horn uh at all especially when these creatures are in such dire straits so but 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 there's just like there's yeah there's x amount of bad guys poaching rhinos uh to get a ton of money for the horn there's a lot of good guys that are working really hard uh, to help protect the rhinos um, in Africa and, of course, in Asia as well. And and those good guys are, especially when it comes to the black rhino numbers, they're winning. And those good guys are local. It's of course there's international foundations and nonprofits that come in and help get a lot of money together. But the work being done is by the people that are locally there protecting them and un, and wanting to care for them and wanting them to and helping save rhinos so they're there so that our my kids my grandkids my great grandkids mm-hmm. can hopefully see them in the wild so uh so yes uh i'm almost gonna get teary-eyed here for a second <laughs> you know um yeah yeah, yeah. uh so so they're, they're very you know they're they are an economic driver and that people want to see them and they're helping locals get jobs and that seems to be working in certain parks and i pulled up um, a couple different scientific papers, and actually Namibia was one of them. There was a recent article that came out in uh, the journal Frontiers for Sustainable Tourism in January 2023 that was titled, From Seeing to Saving, How Rhinoceros-Based Tourism in Northwest Namibia Strengthens Local Stewardship to Help Combat Illegal Hunting. So we're starting to see some positive um, evidence-based science that tourism that's uh, driven and supported locally and specifically offers community engagement and empowerment is a strong basis for actually saving the wildlife and improving the life of the local communities as far as um, their economic status. So that's really exciting. And uh, when we're thinking of the rhino from an ecosystem point of view, right, like what they do for the landscape and what their role is, well, they are a mega herbivore. 
So they have uh, a really important part as far as a plant's life cycle and can influence the plants and the plant communities where they live. Um, and they are browsers, so a lot of it has to do with leaves and trees, uh, different tree and shrub species and things like that. And quite frankly, we probably don't exactly know the entire role because they have a, a pretty wide range of uh, plants that they eat. But we know that there's definitely a huge influence as far as um, probably uh, whether it's a seed dispersal, um, keeping certain plants from going growing crazy and choking off other plants, important ecosystem plant interactions like that. But another really fun ecosystem rule, you might have seen this before. If you've seen a photo of a black rhino, a lot of times they have birds, specifically oxpeckers or egrets, that are hanging out on their backs, hitching a ride. And this is a cooperative or mutualistic behavior where these birds are cleaning uh, the insects like ticks and other parasites off of the rhino's skin while the black rhinos are super tolerant of it because, well, they're getting parasites picked off of them. So it's a very cool and pretty famous mutualistic relationship. Uh, so maybe that'll be the photo that you and I, Chris, that we get uh, on our next trip to Africa together, where we can actually grab a, a shot of an oxpecker and egret riding on the back of a rhino. Hashtag, yes, hashtag goals. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. You know, if you, <laughs> I know you love them, and, and that's why I wanted to pick one of them. Uh, just to get back into the swing of things as we uh, start knocking off species. And it's just like you said, you cover so many important things. I mean, World Wildlife Foundation talks a lot about what you said, engaging locals, ecotourism. They are ecosystem engineers, just like elephants are. They're critical to the biomes that they live in. Where I was going to go with this is, is again, just kind of where we are with rhino and rhino poaching. I mean, if you listen to our, any of our other rhino episodes, obviously this is what we talk about quite a bit. And like Angie said, it's it's still in demand, but it it has turned a corner. And, you know, I don't know if it was COVID or, or what, but it seems like the news is mostly good from around the world. Uh, I saw this article. It, it was titled Rhino Numbers Rebound as Global Figures Reveal a Win for Conservation. So obviously caught my eye. And, and, the, and the latest tally is that around the world, rhino populations total. Now, these are all species, roughly 27,000. I mean, that's there used to be half a million, a million rhinos around the world. So obviously, it, it, it's been devastating for these animals. The Javan and Sumatran rhinos are still on the edge of existence, uh, an organization we talk about sometimes, uh, on the edge of uh, extinction. And we'd love to, to track down some of those researchers and, and see where they are. And like Angie said, it, it's because rhinos were poached. Uh, they, they, they lost a lot of habitat, but also these rhino horns, medicinal. And like Angie said, it is. I have the study. I, I read this off in the white rhino episode. The amino acid compositions of some eukaryotins, so the keratin that's in your fingernail or your hair, the amino acids are, are the exact same, almost the exact same between rhino horn, human hair, chimpanzee hair, hen feathers, snake skin, eggshell membranes. I mean, it, it, they all have very similar amino acid composition. So there's nothing special about rhino horn, obviously. So, but 
the good news is is rhino numbers in in these other groups outside the the Sumatran and Javan are increasing and the white rhinos have gone from in 2012 under 16,000 to over 16,000 now and we had a massive just to remind everybody in poaching we had a huge spike in 2014 15 16 17 where over 1200 rhinos were po- poached just in south 1300. africa 1300 poached in south africa alone so massive amounts of rhinos were being poached but now those numbers are going down yeah so yeah, so in 2022 is 556, in 2021 539, 2020 COVID only 503. So, but still, I just still, can't believe that still, that's where we're issue. at. Like we've had the scientific data for years now, and it there's people still poaching them for their yeah. horns. It's just it's just mad. Well, there's still a market in Asia, and and you know I'm going to talk about glo- global conservation force just to give them a. A quick shout out because Mike Veal started off as a zookeeper like Angeli, was scratching the bellies of the Northern Whites, has dedicated his life now. He's left the zookeeping field and dedicated his life to, to, to fighting the poaching crisis. Now, the black rhinos, their story is very sobering. They were on a very fast track to extinction. So between 1960 and 1995, black rhino numbers dropped by a sobering 98%. So just to put this all in perspective and and the historical population size, I mean, most of uh, the rhino species have been been hunted heavily in the the 20th century going into the 21st century. So for the black rhinos, before 1900, it's estimated there was roughly 850,000 black rhinos across Africa. Before this poaching crisis, you're talking 60, 70,000, you know, 80,000 black rhinos in the 1960s. And then over a period of 35 years, dropping 98% to a low of around 2,300, right? You had the number? Yeah, uh, 2,354. That's it. They were down to a tiny group. That was my high school. Like That's a big high school, but you know, 2,300, the whole species. Now, scientists did recognize World Wildlife Fund, all the zoos, all the conservation organizations were watching the black rhino go to, you know, going extinct. So they did try to turn this around. So at 2001, you did see that creep up to 3,100. Where today, now, it's risen to where we have 6,487 black rhinos up from that low of 2,300. So it's a big win for conservation. And they've done it through protection, anti-poaching patrols. Uh, One of the big projects that was really fun to read about was this black rhino relocation uh, World Wildlife Fund was working with the Black Rhino Range Expansion Project. And uh, it was a partnership between the uh, the WWF, the Enzimbalo KZN Wildlife, Eastern Cape Parks and Tourism Board. Uh, all of that was supported by the Ford Wildlife Foundation uh, helping to pay this. And what it started in 2003, what they started to do is relocate 
black rhinos back into their former range where they were in protected areas uh, to reestablish them. And it's run for a number of years. And these trans, trans, translocations, they've done 178. And they used helicopters, all these things to do it. And, and it's been very, very successful. Now they have calves being born in these areas. These rhinos are established. And now they, they've got like over t- 11 different breeding populations in, in new areas that they translocated to. So they're growing, the population's increasing. That is a very, very positive news. And just uh, to quote uh, Grethel Aguilar, she's the acting director of the IUCN, who we talk about quite a bit, uh, just quote said, the continued slow recovery is a testament to the immense efforts made in the countries and a powerful reminder that conservation works. It does. And like Angie said, it's local. And there's a lot of organizations out there like a Global Conservation Force, World Wildlife Fund, uh, probably one Angie's going to talk about today, all fighting to protect these animals. So feel good about it and and support these organizations. Give them clicks on their websites. Read up on the articles that they publish. You may not donate every month, but just clicking and interacting with them on social media helps them grow and get the get the the word out. So. So keep it up, keep supporting them, uh, and keep following these stories. Absolutely. I mean, uh, one of the groups that I uh, I support, and I actually want to try to get somebody from their organization on the podcast to talk a little bit more about what is happening uh, with the rhino crisis, but it's the International Rhino Foundation. Their website is rhinos.org, and they actually had um, the State of the Rhino 2023 report where I got a lot of my data from. And and one of their main summaries is with black rhino populations, they are increasing, even though there is still constant poaching pressure. And I guess that's what threw me for a little bit of a loop too. It's like constant pressure. Like they're have you know, they're still having to to really work hard to to battle these poachers. And it's uh and we'll talk a little bit more when we move through podcasts, but there's several different strategies. It's not a one shot fits all. I mean so a lot of times there's rangers involved, of course, guards protecting the rhinos. Some, in some places, sometimes they'll shave the, the horn down. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But with this constant pressure, there has to be a multifaceted approach, compi- combining a lot of different methods to deter the poachers, uh, but then also a lot, of, uh, a lot of these rhino organizations nationally and internationally and local communities coming together. The black rhinos, are, their population is slowly, steadily increasing, even though the poaching isn't going away. I think we're just getting better at battling it, perhaps. No, well, I think we need to take a quick break. And when we get back, I mean, obviously, we'll jump uh, through evolution. But can you outrun a black rhino? We'll find out. I don't know. Could you? Maybe. Let's see. Be right back. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places. Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan. But nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. All right, welcome back. And Evolution, we, we, we've talked rhinos in the past, so I don't need to go too deep of a dive here. Uh, just quick reminder, I mean, they're mammals. So we have a lot of species to cover. The order is Parasodactyla. So these odd-toed ungulates that Angie was talking about, not a ton in there, 17 species, which is our equidae, you know, our mm-hmm. horses, or we're going to do a zebra. I know you said Grevy's our last. No, I want to do Grevy's because I really want to uh, get the uh, the, uh, the International Grevy's Trust on here. It's a conservation okay. group, another one that... I am a big fan of, and so, and they do a lot over in Kenya. So I want to get them on here. So no, no, we'll do grevies. And there's a, three species of grevies, so there's plenty to cover. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll save the plain zebra. So if you ever see the plain zebra come across your feed with the All Creatures podcast, you know that's our final episode. There you go. Uh, there you we're go. doing we're doing other things. Um, that's probably another thirty years as long as podcasting remains popular. Uh, but then you have, uh, you know, the rhinos and then the tapers. And so we still have to cover the Malaysian taper, uh, mm-hmm. which we will at some point. Now, the family obviously is is rhinoceridae. So the whites, the blacks, the Indian rhinos, the Javan rhinos, and the Sumatran rhinos. So we have done an episode on the white rhinos. Uh, we did that, the southern whites. Uh, this is the black. We've done the Sumatran. So just the Indian and Javan left. Mm-hmm. And then we can always circle and, back in a couple of years. Yeah, well, it's, we got to keep checking on them and hopefully there's yeah. more good news. And and just yeah. a side note, the um, Indian rhino is also known as a greater one-horned rhino. So. Yes. Yes. And I have the graphic from the International Rhino Foundation. So talking about overall numbers, we've talked whites, we've talked the blacks, the greater one-horned rhino. Uh, 4,014 increasing, which is good. The Javans at 76 and stable, but critically endangered. And then the poor Sumatrans, anywhere from 35 to 50 decreasing. I know our folks at Rewild are working hard to to save those animals. And uh, well, so, yeah, yeah, several several groups are. It's a very uh, big big effort. I mean, it's just a relief bad situation yeah yeah and if you go back and listen to that episode and and you can listen about uh the sumatran rhino and and angie and i able to scratch one uh way back in the day before he was relocated to i know do we have john took photos of us meeting harry but it was before like digital and uh, it's got to be somewhere 
we'll yeah. have to do some digging because I, I would love to have that photo. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, yeah. It was a little while ago. <laughs> I know. I better look good. I look like teenage Angie. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> and Harry right, is darling as ever. Oh, course. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a once in a lifetime. That was, that was amazing. Uh, one of the last of his species, and hopefully they can uh, survive. Uh, genus Diceros or Diceros, and the species name Diceros by Cornus. So the two horns. Subspecies, you go into the literature, there's some debate, upwards of seven or eight, and then again, depends on the organization you look at. Three of those are extinct. So, you know, you have the Western black rhino I always talk about because it's a very sad story that they were declared extinct in the uh, 2011, so the Western black. So these were ones that were up in uh, Central African Republic, Cameroon, that part of Africa. Now, the, some of the subspecies is the Southern Central, the Eastern Black, the Southwestern Black, and then the Western Black has gone extinct. So there, there's it, it. It's like with anything we talk about is genetics are changing how we classify a lot of these species. So as studies go that subspecies list may change. Now, their evolution, you hear about rhinos. They're one of the most ancient mammal species still surviving. They were massive all over the world, you know, about 20 million years ago, up to 35 million years ago. Rhinos, whole different types of species of rhinos were everywhere. Uh, They were all sorts of habitats and uh, biomes. They date back to 50 million years ago. So one of this early ancestors that went off to become horses and then became tapers and then became rhinos uh, back in your backyard, Angie, North America. Oh, that's right. Florida even, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Uh, Florida Florida would have been underwater then, but. Well, they found, yeah, yeah, but the. During the uh, the last ice age, you did fi- they did find mammoth and mastodon yes. and all sorts of bones mm-hmm. in your rivers. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then it was about thirty eight million years ago when they first appeared in Asia and then radiated out. As far as the closest relative, uh, just talking about when they broke off. Uh, today's rhinos, the Sumatran rhino, uh, broke off about fifteen million years ago. The Greater one horn or Indian rhino and Javan rhino had a common ancestor about 23 million years ago. They only split about 4 million years ago. Same time, white and black rhinos, their ancestor broke off, went down to Africa 23 million years ago. And then those two split about 4 million years. So not a lot. I mean, you're talking a species that's, you know, humans, we think have been around anywhere from 300 to 500,000 years. These rhinos have been around for millions of years and maybe some little adaptations, but not much. They've been very successful where they're at. And that's why, you know, we really want to protect them and and keep them going. Okay. Can you outrun a black rhino? Yes or no? (laughs) Definitely not. And that's why when I was on the walking safari in, uh, in Kruger National Park a few years back, I, as much as I wanted to see one, I was happy. Actually, we just saw the rhino midden or the feces because, yeah, I mean, you, you can't outrun them. They, when, they, when they get those little chunk of legs moving, uh, it's like, you know, it's not quite as fast as a horse galloping, but uh, 
definitely faster than my little chunk of legs going. Well, I, okay. Hussein Bolt could outrun, it could out sprint basically in the beginning, right? So the black rhino is going to run 35 miles per hour or 55 kilometers per hour. I cannot run that fast. <laughs> okay, I, but that's... I just jogged a 5K today, and I use the word jog loosely. I think I was rocking like 12-minute no, miles. I mean, it's no still hot here, but that. like... No human can run that. No human can run that. I'm just saying, Hussein Bolt, in his sprint, can reach upwards of 44 kilometers per hour. So I think at the initial step, he could outrun a black <laughs> rhino. But once that black rhino gets up to steam... It doesn't yeah. matter if Hussein Forget Bolt can keep about that. It. It's yeah. going to run him down. Yeah. So dodge and weave, Hussein. If you ever, if, if, if uh, Hussein Bolt ever sees a black round in the wild, dodge and weave, buddy. You, you can, you can do it. Um, what do I do? Like, I, I <laughs> it's like, we're probably like, yeah, like you said, uh, 10 I just lay miles, down flat yeah. and say, I'll just lay down flat and just accept my fate because it yeah. is a rhino after all. Well, okay. I'm going to get to the lifespan in a second. They, if you do that, they probably wouldn't be able to see you, but they could smell you. So they, they they have poor vision. Uh, they're colorblind. Good monocular vision, poor binocular vision. The way I always taught students or anybody I talk to, monocular vision is like your peripheral, you know, looking, you know, you can kind of see good with one eye. Uh, binoculars where we focus in and can see fine details. But uh, black rhinos can do not have good uh, vision at all very good smell and very good acoustic so um, you know they can hear really well with those ears and they have very good control of their ears where they can rotate and focus in so but yeah i think you could dodge and weave and pray and, and hopefully, hopefully there's not... a tree mm-hmm. yes <laughs> a tree uh black rhinos live up towards 35 years in the wild mm-hmm. uh, in under human care uh, there's a record of one living up close to 50, 49. Mm-hmm. So, so pretty good for that. And then before we get to the behavior, because I, I definitely want to delve more into that, just as far as diet, Angie kind of covered that. They are browsers. So, where the white rhinos are grazers out there eating grass all day, black rhinos have a, you know, legumes and grass. They do eat some of that, but they do like twigs and trees and shrubs and things like that. Uh, acacia trees they really really like certain species of that so i don't know if it's like elephants i didn't find a study on it but where elephants digest acacia tree seeds then they walk 60 kilometers and spread the seeds i know we talked about that being seed dispersers they do it better than birds because birds will eat the seeds and their digestive tract so quick that they will uh pass those feces relatively quick so they don't go as far Whereas, say, long animals that migrate like elephants and probably some of these rhino species, they can spread seeds far and wide. Uh, They eat upwards of 50 pounds a day, so 23.6 kilograms. Uh, Angie already talked about their their lips. I mean, they're just great. And they they do use their, their horns, so it does have a purpose not just for defense against predators or a rival. Uh, they will, you know, use it to scrape trees or get bark off trees or break branches and things like that. So they they do do that. Yeah, that's see. I want to see all that wild behavior. I just love that so much. Yeah, they can use the horns as well to, to knock branches, as you mentioned, down. 
And then they use that cute triangular upper lip to grab leaves mm. and the bark or twigs or whatever it is they're eating. So, yes, I, I must. That definitely has to be on the bucket list to, 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 to sit at a very safe distance in a vehicle with my yep. binoculars mm-hmm. and just be in heaven basically watching that. Well, let's roll into behavior. What are what are some of the things that you would love to watch? Because I think it would be fascinating. Uh, like I said, it would be amazing to see rhinos in the wild. It would. And honestly, uh, foraging would probably be my dream come true. Because to this day, when I'm out at the horse farm, I just love watching the horses eat. And it's very like Zen meditative for me, watching them eat the grass and hearing them munching. And it's just, I don't know, it's like my happy spot. Uh, I mean, I love interacting with them, too, of course, so that's fun. But uh, back to black rhinos. I would love to watch them eat and forage. And that is definitely a big part of their day. As Chris mentioned, 50 pounds of uh, forage leaf material, twigs like that going going into their mouth a day. is, is They're doing that for a, a large portion of the day. But in general, they're pretty sedentary, and they'll m- remain in an area um, with a home range of anywhere from three kilometers to 133 kilometers squared, depending on, of course, season and fluidity of movement. Like, are they in a park? Can they move from park to park? That kind of thing. So it just depends on what's happening, of course, with the um, with the forage in their area and then depending on if, it, if they're breeding or not breeding. But you'll typically find them foraging more in the morning and in the evening, moving around then eating and drinking uh, because it's cooler, right? And so when it's really hot, rhinos love to take siestas. An afternoon siesta is the best because they'll just be laying down, snoozing away under the shade of a big tree or a rock, or you'll find them in water wallowing. So they love mud. And some of the rhinos I've seen in photos almost will have like an orange or rust tint to them because of the soil that they've been that they've been wallowing in during the hot parts of the day. But once it becomes cooler, they'll get back to foraging and they'll spend a lot of the night time doing that as well or visiting a watering hole uh, to, to get water. And of course, rhinos are big and tough and they have that horn. But honestly, in general, black rhinos, if they're startled, they tend to flee uh, and run away from the source more often than uh, you know charging at it. Of course, it depends on the situation, right? Uh, but when they uh, when they are spooked or if something startles them, they'll curl their tail, they'll snort, and they'll typically take off. However, black rhino charges do happen. Um, people have had interactions with them. And honestly, there's usually not serious consequence. I'm not saying to try this at home, folks. Please don't. But uh, there's, they definitely aren't um, uh, a human killer like the hippo. No, I shouldn't no, laugh, no. Uh, but you know what I mean. Like that's not they're, they're, you know that's that's not what that's not what they're known for. And then similar to our, some of our other hoofstock species we talk about, whether it's zebras or wildebeest, they do need salt in their diet. So a lot of times they'll if they find a local salt lick, they'll visit that every couple of days to uh, make sure they're getting the, the amount of uh, minerals that they need. And when it comes to social behavior, right, we always think of our equid, their cousin, the equid, as a herd animal. Well, black rhinos are very much the opposite. They are solitary creatures. So you're typically going to just see a female and her young, uh, which 
She will keep some of her young uh, near her side for a couple years before they may go off on their own. But in general, unless it's breeding season, male and females do not hang out. Now, because of the way the different parks are set up and different territories and habitats and things like that, there has been record of some, I use the term herd loosely, but there's been some observation of black rhinos hanging out together. It was up to 13, but this, I guess, was just a temporary association based on the situation. So that's sol- they're generally solitary. Uh, and, and in fact, when two females meet in the wild, there's usually little aggression. Uh, they might nudge each other with their horns and then each go their own uh, a different way. When a male and female meet up in the wild, there's going to be a little bit more aggression. Uh, and the female is definitely going to tell the male that she has no interest in him if she's not an estrus or it's breeding season. So she might have to get a little bit more aggressive. And then when two males meet up, uh, there's definitely going to be much more aggression or violence. Uh, it just depends on probably the hormone status of what the territory uh they may charge one another. They may not. Uh, there will be some vocalization, some groaning. Uh, and, of course, they have horns, so they do know how to use them. And it can be a pretty good weapon uh, for the males to let each other know who's who's toughest and the big dog. Uh, but usually that doesn't result in any, like, deaths or anything like that. It becomes pretty obviously pretty quickly who is the larger man on campus. And rhinos have tons of ways to communicate with one another as well. Uh, what they're probably most famous for is their vocalizations. So rhinos communicate to each other through uh, snorts, grunts, groans, and even occasionally whistles. <laughs> so uh, they make a lot of noises that us humans can hear, like, and all sorts of different sounds, depending on. Can you do that again? Please do that again. <laughs> Uh, no, I will not. That was a once, that was a one time. Uh, I, I'm not good at it, uh, but they make a lot, you know, mm, you know, they just grow, they make a lot of different vocalizations. But what's really cool about rhinos, Chris, is that they're similar to elephants and then that they also communicate using infrasonic frequencies that are below our human hearing, but that the other rhinos can hear, uh, of course, to communicate uh, breeding or um, female calf type bonding sounds. So there's a lot of other forms of communication that us humans can't even hear. So they have their own world going on, um, which is just really, really cool. And I hope I hope to see more research uh, in that in years to come so we can learn more about what they're saying and who they're saying it to. And then, of course, as Chris mentioned, uh, black rhinos have poor vision. But their sense of smell is amazing. They use this chemical communication to say a lot. So, for instance, when a black rhino comes across another black rhino's dung or feces pile, the pheromones or the little chemical molecules uh, that in that feces is just like a world, a plethora of information to the rhino that's smelling it. Uh, and what's super fascinating is each rhino has their own unique pheromones or smell. Uh, One researcher relates it to like a fingerprint in humans. So each rhino's poop uh, can basically trace back to the specific 
rhino that pooped it. And it can tell other rhinos, is it a male? Is it a female? If it's a female, is it an estrus? Uh, can tell how, how fresh it is. So is this rhino nearby? Like, should I be looking out for it? It can identify the rhino's territory. So feces are just incredibly important ways to, to, I mean, maybe it's like how we use emails or something, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just incredible, right? Like, I mean, you know that I love poop, but just the fact that like, it's so important. And then they have these midden piles where a lot of uh, they'll collect different areas. So basically like, just drop your, drop your message right here, you know, (laughs) like leave your mark right here. So it's just, it's really incredible. And uh, the urine too, of course, from the female rhinos has a lot, um, has a lot of pheromones in it and males as well too, uh, to help them mark your territory. So it's just, it's just incredible. And this is some, this, this sense of smell and this communication, they've been honing it for, you know, millions of years, tens of thousands, yep. millions of years. So no, animals have for millions of years and, and, you know, a caveat: If if this is your first podcast listening, you talk about poop. It's I, it's because it does tell us a lot about does. the health of the animal, the hormones. It it is a way to communicate, and that's why, I like these middens, and when you study animal behavior, you get excited about it because it it teaches us a lot about their social structure and 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 like you said, how they communicate. So. You know, oh, he's sick, or well, she's in heat, or mm-hmm. oh, you're right, that's a big bull. I don't want to mess with him. So, yeah, it's always a fun, fun topic. Uh, but that that kind of does lead, though, when you do talk about it, like as far as reproduction. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. And, mm-hmm. You know that they are they are spaced out and solitary. So, well, they're solitary. So, how do they? Yeah. yeah, how do they find each other? And then, how do they know when a female might be receptive? I mean, that's all chemical communication, right? So breeding in black rhinos does occur throughout the year, uh, but there typically is a peak breeding season, which can vary depending on if they live in the southwest or the eastern side um, of the continent. So it's specific depending on the subspecies. But in general, black rhinos are polygonous, so males get to breed as many females as possible. And so a male will pick up on a chemical communication that a female is an estrus uh, in, in, in w- would be responsive. And he'll actually, he'll court the female by following her around. So we, we've known some guys like that before. Uh, but he'll follow her around, even if she has a calf that's still with her or, um, or a sub-adult, uh, and just kind of hang out. And then he'll do this for about a week or two before the mating actually begins. And then when he does, he'll be close to the female. They'll even nap together and hang out in pretty close contact. And when he does uh, get access to breed the female, he'll do some really like stiff legged walking and looking, looking all big and tough. Uh, And he may even brush his horn along the ground in front of the female, showing her how handsome and big and strong his horn is. And then when male and female do copulate, it can last anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes. And if the breeding is not successful, uh, the female will, her estrus cycle, her estrus cycle will start again anyway, anywhere from, uh, you know, 30 to 35 days after that. So in general, it's stated that the black rhino's estrus, the female, um, her cycle lasts from anywhere to like 25 to 35 days with the average being around 30. However, uh, there's been a lot of work on 
rhino feces uh, and studying basically the estrus cycle by looking at hormones like progesterone and estrogen and trying to track the cycle. And they're a little wonky. There's a lot of the black rhino females uh, do have a cycle that's about 36 days plus or minus, according to one of the more recent studies. But there's also sometimes a pattern of their estrus cycle being every 67 days plus or minus 13. So it's uh, it, it can be hard for uh, researchers both taking care of them under human care and then also trying to learn more about them in, wa- in the wild of pinpointing their cycle because it's it's just not as regular and there's just not as much known about it as we do like for horses. So uh, anyways, there's a lot of amazing researchers out there trying to, including one of my heroes and mentors um, from the Smithsonian Institute, Janine Brown. So I got to meet her back in 2019 and we were both at the conference and we just started chit-chatting about how cool the rhinos were that we were watching uh, uh, when we were on a break from the conference because they're way out in a watering hole and just chatted for like 10 minutes laughing and chit-chatting. And then, then she introduced herself <laughs> and I got all weird. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't realize. And she's like, you don't have to be weird about it. And so she was really interested in my phytoestrogen work and stuff, but I got all starstruck. It was pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, so. Wait, real quick, real quick. They were yeah. rhinos? Because you said you've never seen rhinos in Africa. No, no, they were elephants. I, uh, we were looking at elephants when we were okay, talking. Gotcha. gotcha. Did I, did I like, say rhinos? Yeah, you said because you're, you're, you're on rhinos. All right, keep going, keep going. Okay, so no, no, no. We elephants at the watering hole. Yeah, yes. it was elephants at the watering hole, which that's actually uh, her main, main specialty. Uh, yes, yes, she is amazing. Mm-hmm. She's incredible researcher. Yeah, I'd love to have her on. So, <laughs> but yes, anyways, uh, so... There's there's still some, you know, some things we need to learn about their reproduction, that's for sure. But once a female black rhino does become pregnant, uh, her gestation period is about 15 months. And as such a large animal, the female black rhino gives birth to one calf at a time. And the calf will weigh anywhere from 20 to 25 kilograms or about 50 pounds when it's born. And when it's just a little baby rhino calf for the first week, uh, it will be hidden by the mother. Uh, and then as the mother goes out feeding, uh, there's a lot of vocalizations between mother and calf to make sure that the mother can find the calf. Uh, lots of cute little rhino calf squeals, but black rhino moms are awesome. They're very, very protective of their calves. And once the calf is up and wandering around with her while she goes to feed, he, he or she sticks really close to mom's side. And if I'm ever lucky enough to see a mother black rhino and her little calf in the wild. Uh, the calves are usually just following right behind mom, sticking sticking really close. And so weaning uh, is actually pretty long. Uh, and black rhinos, it doesn't happen for about 18 months. So that's a, you know, it's a pretty long time that, uh, of course, they're, they're foraging by then, but they're still getting you know, some of their nutrition from, from the dam. And uh, the offspring are going to hang out and be dependent on the mom till they're about four years old. Mm-hmm. So when we look at uh, generation intervals of why aren't these rhino numbers bouncing back like uh, we might see in some other species, that's why. Because the mom is dedicated to the calf and the sub-adult for a long period of time. Uh, and so 
a female black rhino is probably not going to reach sexual maturity until she's about five to seven years. And for male, it's not until about seven or eight years. So, I mean, that's, that's a pretty long time before they start breeding and passing on their own genetics. Um, and a black rhino female, she's not going to have a calf every year. That's just, it's not how it works. Uh, so that also can lead to a slow, uh, slow population growth, even when all of them are protected. But then when you start poaching some of them here and there that maybe haven't even passed their genetics down the lines, it, 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 it really slows it down and it, it, it doesn't help their recovery. No, it, it is. And I think that's what's frustrating for, for some conservationists is that, you know, these, these megafauna, the rebound is, is slow. And that's why it's a, it's the long game in conservation. It's not, it's just not just quick wins. We do get quick wins with some species, but this is a species that we're playing the long game. They need protection. And like we said, they're, you know, we went over the conservation story. They're critically endangered. So, you know, we, we just need to keep following rhinos year in, year, year out and see where the trends are. Uh, Global Conservation Force, they're not only are they working hard in Africa to protect rhinos and elephants and other species, giraffes and things like that from being poached or taken, but also on the other end, the the education in Asia, going to the markets and driving demand down saying, hey, this, you know, it, it, especially the younger generation, I think they're wise to it. And we do have a global audience. So conservation tip of the week don't ever buy rhino horn wherever you live or, uh, you know, rhino horn dagger is it, not cool. It, it's just, it, it, it shows, I don't know. It's not cool. So wherever you are in the world listening, you know, or effective or no, no, it's not, it's not. But if you do also want to help rhinos in general, every rhino episode, it's always good to talk about using sustainable wood, paper, and palm oil. Because that is a big effect on the Sumatran and Javans who are, are nearly extinct and, and we're fighting to, to help protect and save them. So, you know, FSC certified forest products, uh, sustainable palm oil, you know, again, voting with our dollar. That is how we protect these animals. So uh, keep that in mind when you're out shopping. But so many organizations to, to talk about, Angie, who'd you choose today? Yes. Well, I want to give a huge shout out, of course, to the International Rhino Foundation. They can be found at rhinos.org. Uh, they are an incredible group. My, our friend Allison, who we've had on the podcast for the rhino relocation uh, episode that we did many, many moons back, but still a fantastic episode hearing about how they do move rhinos from spot to spot in Africa in order to help protect the populations and then also have them grow. But anyways, it's a it's a, her favorite group, and they they just do in, incredible, um, incredible conservation internationally to protect African rhinos, but then of course also the Asian rhinos. And some of the things that the International Rhino Foundation does to help protect rhinos in the wild is they partner with local communities, they work on conservation breeding, they help reduce the demand for rhino horn. They support scientific solutions for rhino conservation, and they also restore wildlife habitat. So a really, really great group. I highly recommend following them on social media and, and or checking out their website at rhinos.org. And then, of course, I have to give a huge shout out to the Rhino Orphanage for a rhino's calves that are um, 
that are found because their moms have been poached and so they don't have anybody to take care of them. Uh, this group at the Rhino Orphanage, the group at the Rhino Orphanage.co.za uh, is there to help take care of these helpless, defenseless orphan babies. And, and uh, they give them a chance to uh, rehabilitate, grow, and then, of course, uh, relocate when they're old enough and safe enough to do so and live in the wild. Uh, so yes, if you'll, if someday, if I'm missing in action, Chris, uh, I it's because I, I ran away to the Rhino Orphanage yep, yep. to fulfill my, my lifelong dream to just, uh, retire and work there. No, I I'll be there with you. I'll be there with you. Uh, so the, the episode with Allison, I interviewed her episode 21. That's actually a really good interview talking about the work she did, how, uh, I believe they were the London Zoo rhinos that they reintroduced into Africa. So showing conservation in, in action. Uh, episode 55 is the Sumatran rhino with Dr. Barney Long. So that came out a while ago. Episode 124, we did southern white rhinos. We revisited them. And then episode 247, Sumatra rhinos. If, if you really want to hear their story, uh, good ones to follow. But yeah, Angie, thanks for bringing the passion today. I could really hear it in your voice as you talked about this. Uh, you know, one of the species near and dear to your heart. And I'm glad we were able to cover them. You know, we do have a few more rhino species to cover in the future. I know we got a big species next week uh, traveling somewhere around the world to Asia. So uh, we've got we've got a lot of good stuff planned coming for you now that I'm back home in New Zealand. And just stay tuned for that. But yeah, thank Great passion today, Ange. Yes, and thank you everyone for listening. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell your friends about us and send Chris and I an email or join us on our All Creatures podcast group on Facebook where we uh, share different articles and have other fun conversations. And as always, you can send us your animal requests and hopefully we'll get to them. Listen, learn, share, join the movement at allcreaturespod.com With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.